Let us pray. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Imagine the founder of the Christian church choosing a despised extortioner to be one of the key people in his organization. Imagine hiring a convicted felon to serve on your corporate board. When Jesus chose Matthew, it must have been shocking to many people. You see, Matthew was a tax collector. To be a tax collector in the time of Christ was about as contemptible as being a drug pusher today. Tax collectors were in the same class as murderers and thieves. They were regarded as traitors who sold themselves into the service of their country's enemies for their own personal profit. They could not worship in the synagogue. They could not serve as a witness in court. They were totally ostracized by their own people. Their only friends were people of their own kind. Tax collectors were notoriously dishonest and unjust. Since people didn't know how much they had to pay, the tax man could charge whatever he wanted, an exorbitant rate, and after giving Rome its due, could keep the rest, lining his own pockets. He made a handsome profit through cheating and intimidation and bribery. That's why tax collectors at that time were called leeches. They stole from their own people. And in order to do that, they had to be cold, calculating, and heartless. There is no reason to think that Matthew was any different. In fact, if the Galileans had ever held a contest to choose the most hated, the most unpopular man, Matthew would have won hands down. He would sit in his little tax booth in Capernaum and endure the angry stares of the people. But he was getting rich and richer, no doubt about that. But now why did Jesus call this man, of all people, to be a disciple? Can you imagine the, the look on the other disciples' faces when, when Jesus introduced this newest member to the group? Of all the disciples, Matthew was certainly the unlikeliest to be chosen. Why did Jesus choose him? Well, Jesus saw a man, not a category. That was a great thing about Jesus. He was never one to write people off because of who they were or what they did. He, he cared about the individual. And within each individual soul, he could see the potential for spiritual growth and greatness. Jesus could see the good and the potential good in Matthew, though to everyone else, Matthew seemed like an absolute reject. But then Jesus specialized in rejects, always has. In fact, he would regularly hang out not with good religious people, the, the temple-going crowd, but with the likes of tax collectors and prostitutes and other assorted sinners. In our Gospel reading, immediately after Jesus called Matthew to follow him, Matthew threw a dinner party and invited Jesus and his disciples and some of his own friends. And the dinner may well have been held outdoors in a courtyard. And 
Pharisees who were walking by were surely aghast at the sight of Jesus' choice of dinner companions. As far as his critics were concerned, a righteous man wouldn't be caught dead in such company, let alone eat with them. In those days, eat with a person was something of an intimate act. To share a table with another was to establish a special bond of love and friendship and peace. To see Jesus dining in the company of such immoral riffraff was more than the Pharisees could bear. I mean, we can just imagine them saying, don't you know, Jesus, that righteous people must avoid the unrighteous at all costs, lest they themselves become polluted. Shame on you, Rabbi. You of all people should know better. You must be careful with whom you eat. Peers, you are sharing the table with the most unsavory people, and quite frankly, it's beneath you. But as Jesus said, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to redeem those whom others had rejected. Matthew was one of those rejects. One of the most famous sculptures in all the world is Michelangelo's David. David stands 17 feet tall and was created out of a single block of marble. Not just any marble, but a, a block of marble that had been rejected by two other sculptors. In their view, it had too many imperfections and it just wasn't workable. And that block lay in a courtyard for some 25 years until the year 1501, when a young Michelangelo saw promise in it and picked it up. Well, I didn't exactly pick it up. The finished statue weighs six tons. But anyway, Michelangelo was said to say, I can see an angel in each block of marble waiting to be set free. The same could have been said of Jesus. Seeing something of great value in a rejected man, Jesus chose Matthew to be a disciple. And he began to chip away at him, shaping his character, freeing him to reach his full potential, making him a more beautiful person. And so he'll do for any of us. We may feel like rejects at times, but Jesus has a way of, of bringing out the best in us if we follow him. So that's why Jesus chose Matthew, tax collector, though he might have been. But now, why did Matthew choose to follow Jesus? Well, no doubt Jesus had come into Matthew's tax office in Capernaum now and then to pay his taxes, so in all probability they had come to know each other. But one day Jesus went into the tax office and simply said to Matthew, follow me. Amazingly, Matthew got up and followed Jesus seemingly without any hesitation, didn't wait to put on his coat, didn't clean off his desk, gather his personal belongings, or turn in his official resignation. He just got up and left. But why? What made Matthew leave all to become a disciple? Well, I think Matthew needed to believe. Can you imagine how it must have been to spend your day ripping people off, taking advantage of poor people, widows, and literally taking bread out of the mouths of children for, for no other reason than to increase your own bank account? Can you imagine the guilt, the shame, and the uselessness he felt leading that kind of existence with no purpose or meaning? Matthew needed a greater purpose to give himself to. He, he needed a why in his life. Of course, you don't have to be a scoundrel like Matthew to feel that way, but many people find life boring and meaningless because they have no inner, inner motivation. They really have no reason to get up in the morning. Clothes to wear, food to eat, money to spend may be an ample supply, but that's not enough. Life remains bleak and purposeless for so many, and that's tragic. Well, a poet put it this way, 
It's a piteous thing to be enlisted in no cause at all, unsworn to any heraldry, to fly no banner from the wall. Oh, nothing you would sweat or try for, or bruise your hands, or bleed or die for. It is indeed tragic to have nothing to bleed and die for. Matthew had a job, had a great income, he had job security, but his life had no meaning. He needed a cause greater than himself. He needed to believe. But Matthew not only needed to believe, he was ready to believe. He learned what some people never learn, that there comes a time when you finally realize that life isn't as fulfilling as it should be and that there's got to be more to life than making a lot of money. Matthew was ready for a change. He was ready to give himself to something else. He was ready to believe. We too have to be ready to believe. Because Christ doesn't force himself on us. Christ knocks on the door of every heart, but we have to be willing to open the door. Sometimes that can take us a long time. As followers of Jesus, we long for others to know the blessing of following him. And we may share with, with them our story of faith, and we may encourage them to seek him out, and we may be praying ardently for them to discover the Lord's saving grace. But we may have to wait a long time for some people. They simply may not be ready to believe. I know of one woman who prayed for years that her husband would become a Christian, and finally one day he did. But you see, he had to be ready to believe for himself. No amount of encouragement from his wife could change that. No one can predict the time or the circumstances that make one ready. It's different for each of us. The Lord has a timing for each person, but we have to trust the Lord's timing for them. And of course, we can't save anyone. Ultimately, that's God's job. Well, we don't know all that made Matthew ready to believe in Jesus. No doubt, as I've said, the naking emptiness in his heart finally got to him. Maybe he was touched by the love and acceptance of Jesus. Perhaps he had occasion to listen to Jesus preach and felt personally challenged to respond. In any event, Matthew was exposed to circumstances and situations that made him ready to accept Jesus as Lord of his life. So Matthew needed to believe, and he was ready to believe, and what's more, when he made his decision to follow Jesus, he believed with all his heart. He paid a high price to follow Jesus. In fact, of all the disciples, he gave up the most. He literally left everything, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They could always go back to their boats and to their old trade if this new venture with Jesus didn't work out. There was always fish to catch. But Matthew couldn't give up tax collecting for the Romans on a whim and expect ever to return. No, he cut his ties completely. He burned his bridges. He gave up his wealth and privilege and position and did so gladly to follow Jesus. In fact, he was so elated about this decision, he had to have a special celebration. So he threw that dinner party we talked about and invited all his tax collector friends. He had found something of great price and wanted to share it with his old friends and colleagues. Matthew gave his all, and he made that leap of faith, and he jumped in with both feet and his life was never the same. A story is told about a young man and woman who had been going together for a long time, and eventually they fell deeply in love, and he, he decided to propose to her. So he set the scene one night by driving out to a lake and parking in the moonlight, and he, he turned to her and said, Darling, 
I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in all the world. I want you to marry me. I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or a Rolls Royce like Johnny Green, but I do love you with all my heart. She thought for a minute and replied, well, I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about Johnny Green. You know, sometimes we want to follow Jesus with all our heart only to, to hold back. Our following becomes half-hearted because we choose to hold on too tightly to lesser things in life that just don't satisfy. And yet Jesus will brook no rivals. He wants to be first in our lives. And that means letting go of some of the idols that we worship, our, whether it be our money, our preoccupation with our own needs and comfort, our concern for power and prestige and status. Many of you may have heard of Dwight Moody, the great 19th century evangelist. Well, he was a shoe salesman before he became a famous evangelist. Recognizing his lack of training and formal education, he once said, I'm not much of a man, but Christ has all there is of me. Matthew might have said, Jesus, I'm an extortioner, I'm a sinner, I'm a crook, I'm not much of a man, but you've got all of me. Christ calls each one of us to follow him. He values us, sees our potential, wants to shape our character, wants to bring out the best in us. But will you and I allow him to do that? Like Matthew, we need to believe. We need to be ready to believe, and we need to believe with all our heart and follow him. So let us give ourselves totally and unreservedly to him in love and devotion even as he gave himself totally and unreservedly to us. He laid down his life for us, for you and for me, that we might live. In the words of the hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. By the way, the, the name Matthew means gift of God in Hebrew. Matthew lived up to the meaning of his name. He wrote the gospel or, or contributed significantly to the gospel that bears his name. He was truly a gift of God to us for preserving Jesus' words. We really know nothing of what happened to the Apostle Matthew in the end. Tradition says he died a martyr in Ethiopia or perhaps in Persia. We do know, though, that he's part of that great cloud of witnesses who even now is cheering us on as we seek to follow Jesus. May the gift of Matthew's life and witness continue to encourage us all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.